those of you guys who don't know me, uh, I'm our senior associate pastor. I'm over all of kind of the business, the finances, and I lead um, our Columbus School of Supernatural Ministry, which is one of my favorite places in the world. Yeah, awesome. I didn't pay them to do that. Um, so, uh, but CSSM, we meet on Sunday nights, and uh, that's just a little bit about what I do. So, uh, the reason I'm speaking this morning is because our senior leaders, Jim and Mary Baker, uh, aren't here. Some of you may have heard Jim posted something on Facebook, and I just wanted to follow up with you guys to let you know. Uh, so his dad is in, is in a position and a condition where he needs healing and breakthrough. And Jim and Mary are just spending loads and loads of time laying hands, being with uh, Jim's dad. And so they gave me permission to share that with you guys. So can we just be in agreement? We're going to be praying for them today. And we're going to be praying that God's, that God's kingdom is going to invade those circumstances in unique ways. And so uh, they're watching right now. Everyone say, hi, Jim and Mary. <laughs> they can't see you. They can only see me. But they all said it. So... Well, hey, um, I have a word from the Lord I want to share this morning, um, and before we get going on that, we just had Thanksgiving, and something that we love to do in our ministry school is practice giving thanks, and so why do we do that? Because it actually says in the Bible, now this is something we practice a lot in worship, is that we enter into his gates through what? Thanksgiving. Through thanksgiving, through praise, right? We enter into his courts. We enter into this place of his presence when we just begin to, to, to give thanks, posture our hearts in thankfulness, and what I love to do is this, is I love to practice that in an area where the circumstances aren't how I want them to be. So it's easy to like be thankful for like, um, you know, if heaven is raining down on you and your relationships are blossoming and blooming, your business is on fire, you know, you, 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 you just... You, you, you get every parking spot when you, roll, when you go to wherever you're going. You know, your kids are going to sleep without fussing. Like, like of course it's easy to give thanks in those, in those places. Where we as Christians get to practice the presence of the Lord in a way that the world would, would not understand is we actually give thanks in the midst of something being uncertain. We give thanks in the midst of something being imperfect. And what we do is by doing that, we begin to, to usher in the presence of the Lord in that place because we enter into his gates. We, come, we, we, we make that area of our lives an altar, an offering for the Lord to come into. So what I want to do is this. Is I want you to think of a place that you're thankful for or think of a place that you want the Lord to invade. It's that imperfect situation that you're just going to begin to say, okay, Jesus, this is really painful, but thank you for this. <laughs> And so how many of you kind of have a place like that you can identify real quick? Yeah, most people. So what I want to do is this. I want you to turn to your neighbor, maybe one or two people around you, and each of you just share what you're just overwhelmingly thankful for, and then what, what is an area of life that you want to begin to thank God for to see him invade? Two things, what you're openly thankful for, and then what's that place you just want to see? I want to see God invade my finances, my relationships, my, my kids, whatever that looks like for you. So go ahead, take a second. You might have to introduce to someone around you. If you look around and you see someone who doesn't, who's not partnered up, go ahead and, and grab that person, introduce yourself. Raise your hand in there real high if you want, a, if you want a, a group that you're not a part of. There's someone over here. Hey, Evan, can you turn around? There's someone behind you there. Who else? Okay, great. So go ahead, you're going to share what you're thankful for, and then uh, what area of life that you're going to begin to put thanks into, that imperfect area that you're going to say, you know what, I'm thankful, because God's going to invade this place.
And if you're at home listening, you guys can practice the same thing. What is it you're thankful for? Maybe write it down. If you're uh, listening by yourself or if you're with people, go ahead and share this as well. If you haven't let the other person share, make sure you do that. Introverts are being stretched right now. Extroverts are living their best life. Make sure you have an opportunity for everyone to share. We'll give us just another minute. All right, it looks like most people have shared. If you're, who needs more time? Raise your hand in the air. Okay, that's not enough of you. Okay, so you guys can wrap up your thoughts. Looks like most of you have. You guys can continue to, of course, have your conversation and kind of share uh, as soon as we're done today. How many of you, it just felt good, it just felt good to, to be thankful for something. Like, you, you just felt something. I'm not trying to stir anything up, it's just, there's something powerful about us being able to recognize a place in our life, use our words to give thanks, and then we just begin to see a grace on it. We begin to see what, what the Bible will call the presence of the Lord, that we begin to enter into the presence of the Lord. You know, as believers, the presence of the Lord isn't hard. It's not a big puzzle that we're trying to solve and put together. That Jesus is actually with us. 
You know, one of my favorite names of the Lord is Emmanuel. It means God with us. You know, that was his idea. It was his idea to create a time frame in history where all over the planet, he would be raising up sons and daughters and he would be with them. How many of you know we're in a period of grace that we get to step into on a daily basis the anointing and the promises of Jesus as though it was Jesus himself on the earth through us? Like we're in a time frame right now of grace. You know, I, I've heard it said this way, and I really, I think it's a, a unique perspective, is, you know, you've heard it say things like, um, you're the head and not the tail, because it's in the Bible. Like, you're the victor, that the enemy has no grip on you anymore. Just follow me for a minute here. And have you ever thought, you know, then why does the enemy still uh, go around and, and kind of attack people? Like, why isn't the enemy just destroyed by God? Have, you ever, have any of you ever thought that before? Maybe just me. It, it's okay. It's just a thought, right? You know, what if, what if the, the lens that we're looking through with that question is the wrong lens? What, what if we're looking through it through the wrong lens? Kind of a good question. Like, you know, Jesus, why don't you just, like, destroy the devil? He's the worst. You're the best. Right? I mean, it's just, it's a good question. I think it's cool. I think it's like, yeah, God, you're so amazing. So here's, here's the deal. What if, what if this is the scenario? What if this is the lens? What if when the devil fell from heaven, what was the very thing he wanted to be? He wanted to be like God. Instead, so what, what does he do? God puts the devil on the planet and then begins to turn undeserving people into the very thing that the enemy wanted to torment the enemy. That you're called to be like God, Ephesians 5.1. Be imitators of God. What if our assignment is to enforce the victory of the Lord over the enemy, and by doing so, it's the consequence that the Lord is casting judgment upon the enemy? This makes sense? That the very thing the devil wanted to be is like God. God is going to choose a broken, imperfect people and put his spirit inside of them and make them the very thing the devil wanted to be. I don't know. I just like that lens. Biblically, theologically, you know, we can talk about that more later. I'll win. Um, no. But what if, what, if, what if there's such a redemptive, victorious calling on our lives that we're actually called to undo the works of the devil? What would that look like through a surrendered life? Now, how many of you in the room are planners? You just like to plan. You're like, I, I need my plan. If there's no plan, I'm here. Don't worry. I'm going ha- to create a plan. One more time. Who's the planners in the room? You, Okay, that's a good amount. It's a good amount of planners. How many planners here hate when your plans get disrupted? I think more people raised their hand. I think more people became planners. Like, I just, I I agree with that statement. You know, oftentimes in our lives, plans will be disrupted. I, I can't tell you how many times, I never planned on living in Columbus, Ohio, but how many, like, I'm so thankful that it was God's plan. That, that, that because we're called to such a victorious life, we can actually trust God with our broken plans. The detours of heaven. How many of you are like, I love Jesus. I'm, I'm growing and loving the detours of heaven. 
the detours of heaven, what does that look like on your life? I want to talk about today the relationship between sovereignty and authority. And so you guys can open your Bibles to Acts. We're going to look at a story. We're just going to go on a little guided journey here of Acts 27 and 28. So you guys can open your Bibles. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, uh, you probably have a phone. Go ahead and download the app. Uh, Go ahead and just look at your neighbor's Bible if you don't have a Bible or a phone. Uh, We'll have some... We'll have some of the slides overhead. So I highly encourage you guys to bring your Bible to church, to, you know, Bibles. In my opinion, I think Bibles should be marked up, highlighted, uh, corners folded, you know. I think that a Bible is there for us to build relationship with Jesus. And so sometimes your Bible, like, you know, I've seen people who, like, I'm like, man, I don't know if I can trust you. Your Bible's too clean. It's just like a me thing. I'm like, they're opening the Bible. I'm like, I don't know if I know you. What happened here? I thought you were like, really? You know, and I judge them and then I repent and then I'm, I'm good again. So open up your Bibles, if you guys would, to uh, Acts 27. And I want to take us through this journey of Paul. Um, and what we're going to do, I'm going to set a little bit of context to where we're going to pick up right now in Acts 27. So to give some context, Paul is arrested. He is in chains. Uh, He has been arrested for preaching the gospel, and he keeps on preaching the gospel even after he's been arrested. And he keeps on preaching the gospel, and he keeps on preaching the gospel in prison, and we're seeing just a a, a breaker anointing on Paul that continues to impact every environment that he's in. And he's continuing just to share the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. He's in prison. There is, uh, he is... uh, the Jewish leaders who put him in prison, who falsely accused him, they want to kill him still. So they tell the local magistrate, the authorities in the region, hey, can you have Paul transferred to Jerusalem uh, because that's where he can go on trial? And so uh, Festus and King Agrippa are the two leaders uh, regionally, governmentally at the time. And what happens is this, is uh, the, the Jewish leaders are trying to convince him because they have a plan to kill Paul while he's being transferred to Jerusalem. Does that make sense so far? So what happens is uh, Paul, Paul appeals and says, no, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I appeal to Caesar. Now, Paul was a Roman citizen. He had the right in a, in a case to go to trial and appeal to Caesar, the emperor, for the emperor to hear his case. It was a right of every Roman. So Paul knew what was going to happen, and he decided, I don't want to go to Jerusalem because they're going to try to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Now, Festus and um, King Agrippa, are you guys with me so far? Just stay with me. I promise it'll get exciting. You just got to be, I got to kind of narrate the, the situation we're walking into. And King Agrippa and Festus, they're talking to one another and they're like, wait, what's going on? Like, who is this person, Paul? Because we got a lot of prisoners. Like, why does he want to go to Rome? Why does he want to appeal? And this is what they say, talking back, to one, back and forth to one another. You don't have to flip there. I'll read it. Is in uh, Acts 25, verse uh, 18, 17 and 18. Now, this is uh, Festus explaining to King Agrippa Paul's situation. It says, when his accusers came here for the trial, I didn't delay. I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul to be brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't any crimes I expected. Now, these are Jewish leaders accusing Paul. They weren't the crimes that the Romans were expecting. Instead, it was something about their religion and a dead man named Jesus who Paul insists is alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate these things, so I asked him whether 
he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to have his case decided by the emperor. So we're going to move him now to Rome. First of all, how many of you know the simplicity of the gospel is Jesus is alive? And I love that Paul was preaching it so much that word got up to the highest level of government officials about some prisoner who's talking about, it's some religious thing, I don't even understand. He keeps talking about this person, Jesus, who's alive. He was supposed to be dead, but he's alive. So first of all, Paul, good job. You're preaching the gospel. That's amazing that it's trickling up into every area of that sphere of influence about Jesus. Okay, moving forward. Now we're going to hop into Acts 27. Now this is Paul being transported, okay, where he is, all the way to Rome. And it's a huge journey. And if we could put that slide up, I want to show you guys a quick map as to what this, what this journey entailed. So there's a picture here of, uh, we're going to leave way down here in Judea. This is where they leave out of, and you're going to cross the sea all the way. The goal is to get all the way up into that left-hand corner in Italy and Rome. So as you can tell, this was a long journey. This is a journey that was going to be, you're going to be at sea for months on end, uh, and there there was a huge shipment of soldiers being transferred with prisoners across this route all the way to Rome. Now, Press pause. This journey was supposed to go from Judea down here in Jerusalem straight across to Fairhavens. That's that little island in the center. And then straight up to to Rome. How many of you can tell that journey got a little bit changed? This is what we're going to dig into. So you guys, if your Bibles are open, Acts 27. We'll just spend a few minutes uh, sharing this together. And then we're going to unpack it a little bit. Acts 27. This is where Paul is now, I'm going to start in verse 10, and he's now in the ship with 276 other men being transported. Now, what's happening is uh, the storm is raging. So they're about halfway across. They just got past Fairhavens, and now this huge storm, this swell on the waters is raging. How many of you have ever been at sea in a storm? It's a different situation. At home, you can go inside, you're, you're protected, you're covered. You are at the mercy of the seas when a storm comes. And this raging storm is coming. And so much so that Paul actually has to speak up and give a prophetic word to the whole crew. Do you guys want to hear what it is? Let's look at Acts 27, verse 10. He said, men, this is Paul talking to the soldiers and the other prisoners. Men, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, and danger to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the captain than to Paul. Verse 13, when a light wind began blowing from the south, push pause, Paul gives a warning. Guys, if we keep going forward, this storm's going to hit us. We're going to have to get rid of cargo. Soldiers, we're going to have, this is going to be a bad situation. But they listened to the owner of the ship, the captain guard, not Paul. Then it starts, verse 13, when a light wind began blowing. How many of you guys have been in this situation before? God says, don't go that way. And you're like, yes, Lord, but I really want to. And you begin to go that way. And that warning that God gave you a big picture of what would happen begins to start. That light wind. The light wind begins to move now on the boat. And it says this. The wind began blowing from the south, and the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, 
And a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. Now, they were battling this storm for a while. I'm going to skip down to verse 21. It says this, now, no one had eaten for a long time, so finally Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you, have, you, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. That's a good word. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God, it, was, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Okay, press pause. Now, a lot of you, if you're like me, the prophet, apostle comes and gives this word. It's like, take heart, you're going to live, but you will be shipwrecked on an island. I, you'd be like, no, get behind me now, Satan, I don't like that word. How many of you can relate? It's interesting, this word from the Lord is one that now involves deep trust from Paul. Paul came forward and said, God said, don't go this way. We went this way. Okay, good news. Hey, guys, good news. You disobeyed the Lord, but he's going to have mercy and grace, and you're all going to live. Yay, but we will be shipwrecked. The ship will go down. Oh, I want to read you guys a little bit more. It says in verse 30, now this is in the middle of this huge storm. It says, then the sailors tried to abandon the ship, and they lowered the lifeboats as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. He said, you've been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your head will perish. Then he took some bread and gave thanks to God before them all and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. All 276 of us who were on board, after eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing cargo uh, overboard. It says, when morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to the shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea, and then they lowered the rudders and raised the foresail and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The boat of the ship stuck fast. They were shipwrecked. While the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the, of the waves and began to break apart. So the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make it for land. Then the others uh, held on to the planks and debris from the broken ship, and so everyone escaped safely to the shore. All right. Are you guys still with me? You guys tracking with this story? Really interesting. So what happens here is that right when they're about to, uh, it looks like the end is here, they're all giving up, they begin to get life rafts. And they begin to try to solve the problem that God didn't say to solve. 
And Paul has to stop them and say, no, no, don't go in the lifeboats. We're supposed to stay in the ship. How many of you have been in a situation that involves trust beyond what you're, you can understand? You know, many of us, we get these words from the Lord. We begin to kind of go down it, and then these detours of heaven come. So once we start moving in something that we would consider authority, we're taking hold of our promises of the Lord, walking it out, and then a detour comes. This is what we tend to do as charismatic Christians, is we tend to begin to kind of speak to the storm. Amen? That's okay. This is good. No one's getting corrected. We speak to the storm. We see in the life of Jesus that he would speak to storms. He would walk out on them. But we also see something else God does in a storm, is he has a purpose even in the midst of it. So if we speak to a storm and it doesn't subside, we don't have permission to get all sulky and discouraged. We now have an opportunity for great trust and surrender to see how God's going to work this out. That I've seen people shipwreck their faith because it's something didn't work out the way they thought, they believed, they knew, they shikabobbed it, they did everything they could possibly do, and it didn't work out. That is that place where we move in authority, we move in everything that we know to do. And then there's this place that if the breakthrough doesn't come, what do we do? We surrender. We just go to a deeper place in the Lord. Why? We surrender not out of a place of defeat, we surrender out of a place of victory. We surrender out of a place of knowing that God has another plan in, in, in store. Now, how many of you, you can say that you're probably not on God's plan A of your life? I'm on at least plan L. I don't even know. I lost count. You know, here's the amazing part about the kingdom of God is the next plan that God starts to implement is always better than the one he was going to do. I don't even understand the theology behind that. But we see over and over again God doing things and redeeming situations so strongly that we actually begin to lose sight that he was actually doing this because we got off course somewhere. That the goodness of God is, follows us so closely that if we're not paying attention, we'll use the goodness of God to validate our decisions rather than recognize, oh no, I actually messed up along the way, but God's so good, he keeps redeeming my situation. Do you see the difference? That one validates the goodness of the Lord is the inheritance of the saints. He will never leave you or forsake you. You know, I, I, I've read this guy who went to heaven, and how many of you have you guys, your own heavenly encounters and heavenly stories? Well, this one guy who went to heaven, and he wrote a book about it, and what the, the main takeaway of it was this, is what he saw in heaven towards earth and the life of believers and the interaction between the Holy Spirit and us as believers is that the game is rigged. He said, it's like cheating, that the life of the believer, somehow, it always works out for good. How many of you know your life is rigged for success? Catherine Coleman, one of the great revivalist healing crusade uh, evangelists in the uh, 70s and 80s, amazing. How many of you are familiar with Catherine Coleman? She would whole auditoriums and, and arenas would be filled with people, and she would get up in her weird dresses, and she would just say, come Holy Spirit, and she would just worship the Lord and begin to move in this, in this healing ministry, and there were dozens and dozens and hundreds and thousands of cases of people being healed by coming to, 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 to those meetings where Holy Spirit was just free to move. She, she literally changed history, moved to Pittsburgh, started this international ministry. 
Catherine Coleman in interviews will tell you that she wasn't God's first choice. She just said yes. That there was somebody else lined up for that. But they said no. They didn't want to do it. It was a different person, different pastor. But so God came to her with it. But to me, that looks like a plan A, right? You see, our imperfect scenarios doesn't limit the redeeming power of the Lord. Your plan that got broke, maybe it was a heartbreak, a disappointment. You're now set up for plan B, and it's going to feel even better than plan A somehow. You break plan B, guess what? He's so faithful. If you just surrender, he's going to begin to implement plan C, and it's going to feel like plan A. It's going to feel even better. How many of you guys are getting encouraged on your situations? This is the nature of the Lord. He's the redeeming God. So we're in this situation here, back to Paul, where Paul is saying, okay, make sure we're doing what God tells us to do, guys. He didn't say the lifeboat thing. He said stay in the boat, although it's going to get shipwrecked, so you're going to have to trust. And then he does something really amazing. Then Paul decides we're going to have a party right here, right now. It's been two weeks. Storm has not subsided. Like, they're not on land. The, The storm didn't calm yet. And Paul's like, we need to eat and give thanks. We're going to give thanks right now to the Lord who hasn't rescued us yet, who hasn't changed the situation yet. But you have to eat, and so we're going to use this opportunity for a party. It says that when he gave thanks, the men were encouraged. What happened? He, Paul gives thanks, the presence of the Lord begins to invade those circumstances with those men, and they move into courage. Courage came and met them as they gave thanks. And then it says they ate food. How many of you know that Psalm 23 says that he he will set a table before you in the presence of your enemies? That oftentimes we're waiting to have a victorious spirit until we see something change. That's not how the kingdom works. It's in the middle of your circumstances. Let's go ahead and begin to give thanks. In the middle of those circumstances, God has a tendency to just want to come in and throw a party. Jesus just shows up of like, awesome, I'm here. The circumstances haven't changed yet, Jesus. Okay, but that's fine because I'm here now. How many of you know God doesn't want you to clean up your life before you come to him? He wants to come in and clean it up right now. How many of you know God doesn't want you to, to labor and strive for breakthrough and success? He just wants to bring it right now in your circumstances situation. They didn't have to keep fasting. How many of you are like, amen, come on, Jesus? You know? They were fasting. They didn't eat for two weeks. Now, they were fasting out of a place of being anxious and scared. And God's like, I'm going to come, and I'm going to break that stronghold right now. What happened? They just gave thanks. They turned their affections toward the Lord. They didn't chica baba around the ship seven times. They didn't, you know, kind of do their biggest thing. They just came to the Lord like children with thanks. I don't understand what's going on right now, Jesus, but thank you. Because I know you have the beginning from the end planned out. Plan A didn't work, so Lord, I can't wait to see how you roll out your plan B. They gave thanks. And then what happens? Shortly after they gave thanks, it says that they ran ashore. 
they ran ashore and they hit a beach. Everyone's like, amen, I knew Jesus was good. You know, they're getting out of that storm, they're hitting a beach. They, they, they hit a beach. And now I'm going to read you guys a little bit more here, and we're going to close here in chapter 28. It says, once they were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. So if I can go back to that screen real quick, I'll show you guys the island that they actually end up on, this big map. See way, way over to the left, it's almost cut off, this little itty-bitty island of Malta? This is where they land. It's barely on the map. It's a little speck. It says this, once we were there, we realized we're on Malta, and the people of the island were very kind to us. Verse 2, it was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks for the fire and was laying them on the fire, verse 3, a poisonous snake uh, came, driven out by the heat, and bit him on the hand. Verse 4, the people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. And the people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. As it happened, no, just press pause there. We're, we'll move forward in a moment. So just press pause there. So Paul is on this island. You guys hear this story. And all of a sudden, the breakthrough is coming. All the men live. The word fulfilled, the, the word of the Lord was fulfilled. Remember, he told them, none of you will die. You're all going to live. We're going to get shipwrecked, but it's, you'll live. Praise the Lord. Paul sees it through. It's just steadfast in what the Lord said. They're on, they're on the island now. How many of you know the breakthrough of the Lord has come? This is where you rejoice, right? This is where like, like the promise of God that has taken a while that looked like absolute impossibility comes, and, and, and all of a sudden things change. This is where me, I'm like, come on, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Like, you know, this is that weepy thing in front of the Lord. Like, God, you're just so good. I knew you would do it. Plan B seemed to be amazing, Lord. I just, Jesus, you're so good. And then what happens? Then the snake comes and bites him. Lord, this was not part of your plan. What happens in this moment? How many of you know, every time that you get breakthrough, every time you have a promise, the enemy will test what you believe. The enemy came and bit him, literally in a snake, a poisonous snake. And it says that the locals there said, oh, well, this, is, this must be because you're a murderer. And justice won't allow you to live. How many of you know, the enemy wants you to think your circumstances are your fault. The enemy wants you to know that thing that happened to you, that that was because you disobeyed God somewhere. The enemy will come and test what you believe. Hey, the breakthrough came, but then, you, then something happened and something blew up. You must not have followed the Lord just right. How many of you have been there before? You know what I'm talking about. Paul knows what I'm talking about. You know, it, it says here, the local islander said, justice will not permit you to live. Now, on this island, justice was the name of a false god. So what they were saying was the devil won't allow you to live because you're a murderer. What happens? Paul, he gets falsely accused by a local islanders who have no idea what he's doing. How many of you know the enemy will come and accuse you? 
He wants you to believe someone that you're, you're someone that you're not. And in this very moment, how many of you know, I'll just say this, I believe this is my own conviction. Scripturally, you can have Jim tell me I'm wrong when he's back. But, but I believe that if Paul believed that, he would have died. It was a poisonous snake. I believe that if Paul, when he was tested by what he believes about God, if he believed that lie, he would have died. But it says Paul didn't die. It says he actually shook off the enemy. He shook him off. It says that the enemy was brought out by fire. The heat bit him, and Paul just shook him off. How many of you know the fire of God in your life, the enemy wants to come and try to get you off, off your, your attention on something else? Fire of God in your life will have someone that can test it, and it's up to you to know what you believe, who you are and whose you are, and shake off the accusation. So the enemy comes and tries to attack Paul in the moment of breakthrough. Now I want to fast forward a little bit. It's amazing. This is just an amazing picture. It says that they were watching him to swell up and die, only he didn't do it. Like they were literally like, okay, you're going to die. Everyone, this guy's going to die. And they're they're just watching Paul. And it didn't happen. How many of you know there might be people in your life that want you to fail, but God is your protector and provider? I, you you got to know that. If you, if you don't think that that's the case, it's not because people are evil. It's because the devil is trying so hard to get you to believe that you're someone that you're not. He wants you so hard to believe that you're not the thing he wanted. That he will put people, circumstance, situation around us, try to attack in that moment, at that season, that God's moving most powerfully. Now, here's the cool part. We're going, to finish the, we're going to finish right now. He says this. He says, uh, verse 6, the people were waiting for him to swell up and drop dead, and then they didn't, so they decided he was a god. As it happened, uh, uh, Publius, Publius's father, so he was the one, uh, like the village, the chief of the village. Uh, his father was ill and uh, with fever and dysentery. So Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. Come on, Jesus. Then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. As a result, we were showered with honors, and when the time came to sail, people supplied us with everything we need for the trip. How many of you know that God, if I can bring that map back up, that when Paul is sailing, God didn't tell Paul that I'm going to bring you to Malta, we're going to have a revival, the whole village will come to me, I'm going to heal them all, it's going to be amazing, Paul, you guys got to trust me. He didn't tell Paul that. He gave Paul part. How many of you know we see him part? And it's up to us to follow. It's up to us to trust. When plans fall apart, we still see in part. And we're going to trust that the Lord sees the beginning from the end. And he goes to this little island. Of all these places, God had a purpose and a destiny for that island of Malta to encounter the kingdom of God. Of all these places, God's like, no, you know, this storm's going to come, so I'm just going to do something that the devil doesn't want me to do. I'm going to go to Malta. We're going to save the whole village. We're going to get everyone healed. How many of you know, are you, will, are you willing to let your plans be detoured? And in doing so, will you give up what you thought God was going to do to put your hands around what he is going to do? It doesn't matter if you need healing. God's still going to heal you. Maybe it didn't happen yet. How many of you know God's going to heal you? He's still good. None of this stuff, storms, have nothing to do with sin or sickness. 
We never see that in the Bible, that God ever blessing sin and sickness. But we do see circumstances that God doesn't change because he's going he's to call an audible and throw in more purpose than you can ever imagine through the detour. It might be a growing stage for you, for me. It might be a purpose of, I'm actually going to send you to this nation. You know, over and over again, we've seen people, I'm our missions pastor here, and we have seen people want to go on a mission trip. How many of you like love going on a mission trip? Maybe you've never been or you want to go. They're amazing. And we see people who want to go on a mission trip, and we've had people who want to go to, um, well, particularly like to Kenya. And for whatever reason, how many of you know, sometimes the door just closes and you don't understand why. Circumstances, a job, something happens that doesn't allow you to go. Over and over again, I've seen people feel like a door closed and they either pout and get whiny. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? Your, your pout and whiny spirit. And I've seen other people say, okay, God's closing this door for a reason, so I can't wait to see the door he does open. And I've seen them go to other nations where whole revivals have broken out. But it might be as something as simple as navigating your own life right now. We just don't have permission as followers of Jesus to ever be disappointed or discouraged. Because God will turn your plan A that seemed to get broken, he's going to turn it to a plan B that somehow seems to be better. And if that one gets broken, he's like, no problem. I have a plan C, Sean. I can't wait. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Sean, you're now on plan H. I can't wait to release this over your life. Listen, if you're willing to surrender to him being good beyond what you can imagine, your circumstances and destiny will begin to look like that. We'll begin to look like the goodness of the Lord. We'll begin to look like things being redeemed. But if you're caught on yesterday's plan, he can't move you forward into plan B, C, D, H, whatever you're on. If you just have eyes on yesterday, then you're always going to feel there's a level of regret. There's a level of discouragement. There's a level of you being connected to something that didn't work out when he wants you connected to every victorious plan he has. So I'll just close with this, you know. Here's Paul walking around preaching the gospel that Jesus went to the cross for us, that we broke that the Ten Commandments, we broke the moral law, we broke everything that could be broken in our relationship with God, that we were sinners. And it says that Jesus took the penalty that we deserved, went to a cross, and died for our sins and sicknesses. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God that now is invading every heart that would turn to the Lord. There's no more fulfilling religious law. There's no more doing it the right way. There's just looking at Jesus, repenting and turning your life to him. This is the gospel that, that Paul preached that got him in jail. This is the gospel that God is good beyond what I can ask, think, or imagine. That got Paul in and out of every turbulent, shipwreck, broken situation. That he kept his eyes on Jesus. Now here's what I want to close with is this thought. This is why intimacy with the Lord is so important in our lives as believers. Intimacy with the Lord is so important. This is why we talk about it all the time, intimacy with Jesus. Because if I have a vision for my life, and it might be a vision for a season of life, and God has a different vision, how many of you know there's going to be division? There's going to be disconnection if my vision isn't aligned with God's vision. This is why intimacy with Jesus is so important. This is why intimacy with Jesus, this place of being fully surrendered, seeing in part, but knowing he sees the full picture, and I can trust him with the next step. 
But if I'm not there and I just have this, I have a really rigid, like, no, I feel like God told me to do this and, 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 and I'm not surrendering even the plans that I feel like God told me, then God can't come in and help me navigate it. That the surrendered heart is the one that looks like they're supernaturally walking in the plans of God and people will ask them, how are you doing it? And they're like, I don't know. I, I don't really know. I'm just, I just love Jesus. I don't know. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you ask somebody, somebody who's victorious, somebody that you think of, when you think of a victorious believer, you think of somebody, there's probably a pastor or a friend or just somebody that you, you might imagine. And if you were to ask that person, hey, give me your keys to like navigating life and like the plans and purposes, like how do I do my plan? They're going to say the same thing. They're going to say, you got to surrender and trust the Lord. He has your blueprint. I don't. When we can allow him to have our first plan, he begins to move us into his bigger plan. That we, what we see in part, we can begin to walk into, and all of a sudden it opens everything else up to new plans. And if we're surrendered enough, he'll turn your life into a revival on an island that you didn't plan to go to. He'll turn your life into a purpose that you didn't write out, but you could never have done any other way. So why don't you guys stand? I want to uh, call our ministry teams forward. And so ministry teams, come on forward, guys. Come on up front. So if you're here this morning and you want to, you know what, you're, you're, you know where you're at right now, and maybe you're listening online, there's going to be a number that you can text in response to this. But if you're here this morning, if I could just stop the movement in the room, just no one leave right now. I'm, I'm holding you captive just for a moment. But ministry teams, you guys can come forward. If you're here in the room and you know that you want to get connected to Jesus and you feel like, I know that I know that I'm disconnected from God's heart.